Hey folks, you're listening to Riffs and Scripts. This is Cole here doing my cheeky edit and I've only just discovered that the input setting on my mic was set all horrible and it sounds like my microphone is at the bottom of a well and it's going through an old 1950s radio being attacked by killer bees. So I'd like to preemptively apologise. I've tidied it up as best I can. But nonetheless, please do enjoy this episode of Riffs and Scripts. Welcome back to Riffs and Scripts. I haven't kept track of what how many episodes we've done, so I don't know what episode we're on, but you're on another episode. A Fuck it. <laughs> a thousand. My name is uh, Cole Bryant. My name is Amber Sava. And uh, today, what I most want to discuss is how bad are you feeling that you didn't get Mr. Tumnus straight away on the don't, last episode? Don't, because I listened to that episode back and I was like, it took me so long because I was sat there thinking in my bread, in my bread, in my brain slash head, hence bread, in my brain, it was constantly ticking. It was going through all the books I've read, all the films, all the Disney films. So internally, I was like, but then I listened to the recording and it's just like. It's 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 funny because um, Narnia, I found out afterwards, as you said, is, is something quite close to your heart. So It's I was so like, close yeah. to my heart. Like, yeah. You have no idea how much I used to love. Do you remember the old BBC ones? I had them on video. Oh, right. Do you know what? I had, um, I had an audiobook of David Suchet reading them. David Suchet is in Poirot. And I thought that was amazing. So I finished my first ever D&D campaign yesterday. You finished it? Yeah. Oh it was God. a baby campaign. I've never... Yeah. It was small. Oh, I, mean, I mean, yeah, my, my, my ones are always kind of long form and gone for ages. And I, I, how did it go? What happened? It was really funny. You know, this one was meant to be like a practice game because it was the DM's first time DMing. It was my first time playing. It was a small group. So it was like it was like a baby game. Um, it was really funny. So we the plot that he'd created was there are baddies and we, could, we find clues throughout the campaign that they are trying to summon a dragon. And we're like, okay, yeah. cool. But we're we're overthinking it, I think, because we're going, what are they summoning the dragon for? Can we get there and summon it first? Do we want to stop them? Do we burn the evidence? Do we summon our own and they fight? We like mm. weren't sure what was happening. So we're at the final stage. Now, the week before, so our like penultimate session was a proper battle. Now, I really, really enjoyed it because I loved the way he did it. He made it like a chess game where we were playing yeah, online yeah. and we, each character had a different amount of vision. So we're all trying to yeah, like yeah. negotiate um, this and there are loads of different people on patrol and stuff and it was really fun. But we started off really tactfully, but then eventually we got exposed and there was a big fight. And, and basically yeah. there were only three of us and our strongest character, like our kind of magician character, died. Uh-oh. We tried to save it. I really Your tried artillery. to save him, but I had no vision. So I was literally like, I had some vision, but I was guessing in the dark how to get to their body with my he- healing potion that I had. Anyway, so that was a whole thing. So now yeah. you've just got a ranger and a rogue left and you're just like, oh, no. oh my God, we can't take on a dragon. You, you can do a bit of damage, but you're but, pretty squishy yeah. character. So we go, yeah. we go, exactly. And that's fine. It's just a fact. So we go back into this mine where we know the dragon's been summoned by now. Yeah, yeah. And our DM is hyping it up because he's being a DM. But what he did was gave us the impression we can't fight this dragon. So like when we Mm. walk in to the cave it's in, it's like surrounded by dead, burnt baddies. And it's huge. And we're like, 
okay, what do we do? Now, I was half elf, so I could speak draconic, right? So I was like, I'm gonna try and speak to this dragon. And you could just tell that the DM was kind of spitballing and I was mm. keeping really peaceful and trying not to, because again, I tried to be like, oh, do you know where you were summoned from? Because I was like, do we have to try and send the dragon back? Is that like an idea? And so I'm trying to get all creative when basically he was just expecting us to go in and attack the dragon. <laughs> Yeah. So we yeah. kind of, it was the only time in the whole campaign we had to kind of pause and go, okay, were you ready for us to do what we just did? Because it sounds like you're not. He was like, no, not really. And we were like, you gave us the impression that to try and fight was futile. So we kind of, oh yeah, that was it. When I realized this before we openly said it, I was like, oh no, the dragon's going to attack the village if we don't fight it. Because I've realized that's yeah, what he yeah, wants. Yeah. He was like, thank you so much. And we chatted about it and we kind of rewound a little bit. And he was like, okay, you've just walked into the cave. The dragon's there, but it's about <laughs> half as big as I initially described it. Don't worry, you'll be okay. We're like, oh, let's fight the dragon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he had actually made it quite fightable. But it was just a really funny thing. So we finished the campaign. We're already planning to start another one properly. And this yeah, time yeah. we're just going to start as level threes and really get into it. Yeah, that's what most people do um, if they've played a bit of DD is they start level three, level five kind of area. Yeah. Kind of area See, and then whereas we on, ended at level five. That's when it gets five. really juicy. Yeah. yeah. So, but it was fun. It was very fun. And I, I, I at least get the game now and I really like it. So I cannot wait yeah. until I'm able to DM because I'm going to make such nerdy campaigns. And when I say nerdy, I don't mean like pop culture nerdy. I mean actual went yeah. to uni and loves books nerdy. I'm going to make a Dickensian campaign. I'm going to make it, a mythology it. campaign. I can't wait Man. to be good enough to make the campaigns. Well, uh, do you know what? This weirdly features into something that um, really our kind of episode um, prompt, which is, is kind of uh, finding your own work and making your own work, you know, and yeah. something that you know very well that I, I am immensely passionate about Dungeons and Dragons to, are, to a yes. fault. Um, in fact, just over there, you can see all the books uh, just above my desk. Um, but I this this filters in because uh, something I want to be doing is is doing eventually doing a kind of live stream D&D type podcasty um episodic thing you know there's 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 plenty of them already out there but i i feel like so? um, my particular weird sense of humor and my uh my weird nerdy nerdiness would be um a positive contribution it's i've got a- this wonderful group even with and, loads of um, others out there, they want they're not going to make what you're going to make, which is no, actually no, no, a topic no. worth mentioning today regarding making yeah. our own work. You know, and that's 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 a big thing is that um you have your own voice creatively, you know, and it's important to be ready to express that. Just because someone else is doing um doing the same thing, you know, you know whatever, you know, you should you should be thinking, well, you know, it's not going to be the same as what I do because I'm me. But um yeah my my I I'm I've been building a, a big D&D world um for a long while and I've kind of merged two of my campaigns. One of my campaigns as you know I'm a big Terry Pratchett fan so I started out with a campaign that was literally just um uh you know how in Terry Pratchett there's a giant space turtle Absolutely right? yeah with four elephants yeah. on it. Yeah the great the great at uh, chewing and um my concept was there is a sibling of that space turtle with another disc world on its back floating right. somewhere out in the cosmos and so you can use you oh can i borrow love as much it as you like you but can, borrow you as can much also break some like, rules and people can't get mad but, yeah and and you can do um 
whatever you like with it. So what I started out with was, well, the big plot lines in Tony Pratchett is the watch. So in one of my D&D games, the watch is, uh, this is about the formation of the watch and they're, they're, they're all trying to muddle through and there's a big war going on. And so my group have started and they're investigating crimes and stuff. And I researched loads of, um, uh, loads of uh, London folklore. So, for instance, the Black Swine, which you may have heard of, which is uh, the story of um, there was a story that one time in in Victorian London there was a pig that um, escaped from the butchers and uh, <laughs> went into the sewers and ate people. And gradually, um, it's this is a real myth, uh, and it, it's 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 piglets came out and they got a taste for human flesh. And there's a giant, scary diabol living under London Whoa. and stuff like that. So all those all those kinds of myths, uh, things like um, Berkeley Square. You know, Berkeley Square there's, is like the most haunted house in Britain is in Berkeley right, Square. Right, okay. And um, the most hauntings have occurred in this current place. So, I mean, don't tell my players. But uh, unless you're listening, Barney, because Barney's in my D&D group. But um, there's ghosts living in there and there's all this stuff. And Will there's, I get there's to join really one of your campaigns stuff. someday? Amber, you're definitely going to whether you like it or not. I need I need you there. Cool. I need you there. We're married in some cultures now. Boom! <laughs> Oh man, so so the the, the, the funny thing is I think we've explained this is, joke before. But yeah. No, I love it, I love it, I love it. We uh. we did last episode actually. But uh, oh, yeah. the, the thing is I, I I ran another campaign. I have some friends who I love to pieces who um live up in Nottingham. Right. Um one of them is like a Twitch streamer and she uh they uh, a really good act- actor and um uh, their partner is a brilliant tattooist. They're both really great um, kind of graphics designers. Mm. And uh, their partner, who I um, met through university, is a brilliant tattoo artist. And maybe I'm going to get a tattoo with them. But they're Ooh. both such good role players. And um, we've formed a group with two of their friends. And now they're my friends, which is really lovely. And I've 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 played a lot of D&D. And I don't usually sit down and go, wow, everyone here is like a brilliant actor. Like I'm, I'm, I'm playing through this game, and everyone here is really contributing. You know, one of them um, is like a cosplayer with loads of their spare time. Who, by the way, she looks exactly like the female version of Shepard from the Mass Effect games. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate cosplay, check her out. Um, another guy there does X Men radio plays. What a legend! <laughs> um, so there's all these wonderful people, and eventually, I want to turn that into a stream where um, we build the campaign through that. And I've built a continent. And I've I've got you when you say nerdy. No, I've I believe like you. I really named, believe you. Named everything after like Latin archaic phrases and stuff. So I think that might um, be the most you've ever turned me yeah. on. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like plotted. I, I I started with the concept that um, humanoids, so dwarves and elves and yeah, things, yeah. are all like how Neanderthals and Homo erectus and things separated from and, and Homo sapiens are a, a, a distinct species within the hominid group, right? Yeah. So that was my premise. So the reason why the dwarves are there is because the dwarves are basically like Neanderthals. Love it. And um, I, I plotted the... I, look, I looked into the African... Um, out of Africa theory stuff about how many thousand years ago, and I planned that out in terms of where this this map is and all this weird stuff, you know. And it's 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 for me it's it's something that's intensely creative but doesn't relate to music. Um, See, I've, I've wanted to discuss with you. You for know a while. what? Let's okay. Well, you've just hit us something that I think is really important. I think that when you work in a creative industry, and this is something I this is one of the biggest lessons I I took from lockdown that it's really healthy to have a creative Mm. outlet that isn't for your job. 
So yeah, yeah. when I was, when we were in the depths of lockdown, like, you know, those four or mm. five months that we all just literally sat at home before, yeah. before like eat out to help out and stuff like that. Um, which I'm sorry, is just such an innuendo. But anyway. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> has no one else noticed? Eat out to help out. Fucking hey. hell. That just sounds like, you know, a woman on a Sunday morning, like, do you fancy eating out to help out, babe? <laughs> like, <laughs> Anyway, in, anyway, in the de- this week's top I was, tip wait, wait, wait. for riffs and scripts, <laughs> be a generous lover. Eat out to help out, guys. Come on Eat now. Eat out to help out. Anyway, when we were like, yeah, so I've always really enjoyed painting. Uh, and um, yeah. during the depths of lockdown, I got a bit better at it. And I think... And You're I remember- not bad, actually. I've seen some of your stuff on Instagram. Sorry to interrupt. But, no, no, uh, but I think that the reason I love painting is... What I keep saying is I could burn the picture when I finish it and no one would care, you know? Yeah. Like, I love going to see theatre. I do. But every time I go to see theatre, a part of me goes, oh, should I be writing down who the director is? And oh, this is good. I can I can learn from this. I can be inspired by this or, you know, and and, and the cogs are just constantly, constantly mm. turning. So it's just so nice having something that is purely to be creative. It's not to be good. I'm mm. not I've not taken any art classes in my whole life. I've never taken. Oh, I did my GCSE art and that was it. And even then I was so bad at painting that I did a lot of like 3D stuff. All of my projects were, yeah, yeah. were with clay and cardboard and shit. And I was more of a sculptor. So um, I don't, I'm not doing it to be good at it. I'm doing it for the creative outlet that can be purely for the sake of creativity. And I think that's such a good tip mm. for anyone's mental health when it feels like the thing you love has become a job, you mm. know? Well, I mean, I, the other thing is, uh, there's another thing for... Um... Uh, which a lot of people have been getting into for coping during lockdown is weird tactile things. I friggin' love weird little things you make and you build them and you put them together. So yeah. I love Lego. Lego, um, yeah, for and, sure. And uh, Lego is like, apparently everyone's using Lego for mental health stuff now. And I'm going to quickly show you something. Now, this kind of goes slightly against the um, using stuff for, for, for something else idea that we were talking about. But mm. if I just pull something from my left, here's something I made earlier. Except I haven't made it yet. I will describe it for you guys. I feel like Cole's forgotten that um, you can't see him, but I can see him and no, you can I'm live gonna, through my I'm, eyes. Don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. Everyone <laughs> will live vicariously through you. So I, I buy scenery to make for my D&D games. Here's an example of something that I'm looking forward Ooh. to building. Yeah, so... It's a uh, ship. You just do the all. Don't even describe it. Um, but um, ah. that's a company called TT Combat. And they make these kind of little MDF things that you can make and, and build. And uh, that one is um, a ship and some boats and a dockyard. And Love it. Uh, in this upcoming D&D game, um, someone's playing a kind of pirate sailor character. And I've, I lean into that shit. Oh, I love that you shit. You know how much so, I love pirates. Um, Don't even... I fucking love pirates. Oh. Everything about it is so much fun. So, so cool. It's just this, incre- it's this incredible historical cultural phenomenon. Yep. Like we could have a, oh, anyway, anyway, we should eventually get round to the topic we're on I today. Know, I just, know, but just it's just, this is lovely. But like, you know, piracy is, a, it's just this amazing little golden nugget of history and that's influenced culture constantly ever since. And it's just, it's just so cool. And it was invented by people forget this. Piracy was invented by like the the British Empire because mm. people were employed to go and rob enemy ships and told they could yeah. keep the loot. And then exactly. when they were like, Oh, we don't want you to do that anymore, they were like, Well, we we're going to. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> tough. Well, you've set up a really good business model for me, actually. So I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is like a really good business model. So I'm just going to keep doing that. <laughs> we just thieve in the seas. I read a wonderful thing in the um, basically the um, the cowboy era is another example of that. The cowboy it era is, is yeah. only like a handful of years, like five years or something, mm. or like like a really short period of time. Um, and it ended with the introduction of barbed wire. Did you know that? I did not That's know basically... that. Okay, so so cowboys is in people free 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 rangers people, yes. people moving cattle across. Yes. Um, so there, there were there were new, numerous factors really. So things like the railroad actually coming in and then people just being much more interconnected kind of ended that kind of wild westy type thing. But when barbed wire came in free ranging basically just stopped because barbed wire was just put over everywhere because people were marking out their own land because it used to be in america that you would yeah. just push you'd mark the animals the you'd just mark graze. the animals and be like those are yeah. my animals whereas now you can yeah. you can be territorial about it i mean my the issue is though that like okay piracy was born out of rivaling but still very wealthy countries right whereas yeah. the settlement of the cowboy era is also founded on a lot of like mass murder but you know what yeah. what part of history is it lots of fun anyway let's chat about making our own work so what does that mean to you cole what does it mean if i say to you how do you make your own work well, it's um most i mean there's there's, there's two aspects really there's one is um being prepared to build a reputation and a portfolio of stuff for yourself so that you can do things in the future. And partially it's um, going out and doing something specifically for so for someone else that, um, that someone needs from you. So in my case, um, I'm gradually putting together a portfolio of kind of composing stuff that I've done. And actually, to me, honest, the best way to do that is to be doing work for people. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, weirdly over lockdown, I was making more money for myself. I think I've said this to you before. You have, yeah. Out of music than I was um, having been performing Gigging. in a band for 10 yeah. years. Um, and that was because a lot of people started doing podcasts and everyone just kind of knew me as like, oh, you're a music guy. Do you know how I can do this? Or do you know how I can do this? Um, and the... Uh, I need some jingles. Can can you put something down? The first one that it happened to a bloke I knew from university, who's actually weirdly enough a brilliant DM, uh, D and yeah. tabletop role player. Um, he was doing a podcast about. Um, he was living as a character in his D and D world, and it was an agony aunt podcast. How cool is that? An right? agony aunt D and D character. He was a D and D agony aunt. That is who was like wandering genius. the streets of this wonderful fantasy city that he'd invented, and he got people to write in as their D and D characters to 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 ask for advice. So, for instance, I wrote in as my paladin saying, "Our warlock just killed this necromancer," but the guy was like bound. It wasn't right, and I'm a paladin. I'm supposed to be a paragon of good and all this stuff. I so, mean, that situ that so, exact situation happened in my campaign. Just saying. There we go. Yeah. There we go. It it happens. It happens. And he needed some kind of jazzy stuff, and he needed um um a, like like a sting, like an in between. We use them all the time in in the in the podcast, and. He messaged me saying, listen, Cole, have you got any advice on how to do all this? And I was like, okay, I could give you some advice. Or if you give me 20 quid, I'll just do it tonight. <laughs> and so, uh, like, like I'm, I'm getting home from work at five o'clock, uh, five, six, five, six o'clock. Um, I've got a free evening this evening. Do you want me to just do you something? And he, and, and he didn't want anything major. He just wanted something really simple. Yeah. And so I just did it. And 20 quid, there we go. That was what I started at, by the way, folks. Um, 
I was going to say, um, a lot of people are rubbing their hands right now. Like, ooh, well, 20 no, quid. I suddenly, well, I suddenly realised that um, I got I was quite good at it, you know? <laughs> like, I can I can just put stuff together. And I well, um, started letting people know that I could do that stuff. And I... Nate's girlfriend, actually, someone at her work was, like, starting a podcast for her work. And uh, they needed a jingle every two weeks. And, and like loads of little bits yeah like yeah introducing this part of the show yeah, and yeah, introducing sure. this part of the show and so just knock it out in a night and the thing is you've got to funny. not just when you pay for, when you work at an hourly rate and we've actually talked about this before we even we came have, on is yeah. that it's really hard to work out hourly rates because when i'm charging i'm not just charging for what i'm doing i'm charging for my ability to just sit and do it in two hours you know it's yes. like a plumber who's who who charges like um two thousand pounds to come to your house for two hours right so what you're paying isn't for two hours of work you're paying for someone who can do it in two hours you're paying you know for I mean? years of experience i mean I, the example i think of is a hairdresser right so yeah. like a hairdresser can cut your hair in half an hour and it can cost like 40 quid right but yeah, yeah. you're not paying for that half an hour you are paying for the years that they spent getting good at it and being yeah. and for them being the hairdresser that you want and for their ability to do it quickly, like you said. Yeah, mm. we had this when I was, um, I, I've been meaning to bring it up on a day. We need to do a day job um, day on a- episode on admin work because we've both done yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But like oh. <laughs> I, I, up until the pandemic hit, well, in fact, up until a few months after Blessing, they really tried, um, was an office, was like a team leader for a writing company. And people would sometimes, we would quote, and say this includes you know as many edits as you need it was very bespoke and personal and then when someone did a really good job they'd go oh so do i have to pay the whole thing when they didn't need that many re-edits and we'd be like well no we're not gonna take money away from the writer for doing a really good job and listening to you Mm. and doing it quickly this is a good thing (laughs) like and sometimes when people called panicking going "I i need help i've got a speech this weekend and i'm freaking out we're charging for the fact that that writer is going to do a lot of late nights to meet your deadline Mm, yeah you know and they deserve to be paid for that and they deserve to be paid for their ability to do it so quickly for you so yeah you're paying for a skill and an a level of experience and stuff it's um yeah there's there's you know it takes years of experience to do something brilliantly quickly yes you know and it's it's a really odd thing for me in that i've done so much work with the band where i have been giving it my all and it takes me hours because you know it's hours to get there um hours there hours to get home and not taking money home from that and yet having that's that's the work i've put into it outside of outside of just the night you know all the practices all the songwriting all the getting good at your instrument and all that stuff yeah you know um it's so mad that uh music is kind of devalued in 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 some ways and the internet hasn't helped um either the 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 irony is that it used to be that you would tour to support a record and the record is what would make you your money and that just kind of switched um, it did flip over with the i remember age. yeah yeah particularly so, with the internet age, so you know back on track so making your own work you've been doing yeah, sound, yeah. sound effects and editing for podcasts yeah i i yeah I, i've also done some freelance um vocal work some session work weirdly some of that came through the band um 
and I did some guitar actually through the same person. So what does se- I've heard this phrase so much. What does session work mean? Session work is when you need someone who I mean not right now because I haven't slept and my voice sounds like a, a, a cheese grater, but um, basically say this in a few instances I've had people who, who are great songwriters but aren't really singers and or maybe they don't have the right vocal range for what they want to do because mm-hmm. I've got quite a high vocal range so I can I can do things in certain keys that yeah, they yeah. might not be able to do on their own and so people hire me in to hey we need to rent a high note you know um yeah, yeah. Type, type deal and uh, I've gone up and done that and I'm good at picking things up my my ear is really good so you can play me songs and I'll just remember them and um or like imagine a, a different example would be let's say you guys needed to record some music and you don't have a bass player that week <laughs> yeah you would you would do session work where you get someone in who can play the bass here's our song well, you're gonna stand there and play that part for today while we record it that's session in- work yeah, 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 that cool. kind of thing. So, um, like rented asked, as a musician, basically. Yeah, you're just rent you out for the weekend, and usually session session musicians are often some of the best ones about. To be honest, um, all all like the best bands from like the sixties are made up from session musicians. So Led Zeppelin, mostly session musicians, um, for example, and uh, there's bands like Toto and Steely Dan mm-hmm, who are all mm-hmm. session musicians. And basically anything that 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 a lot of a lot of the most the most interesting and clever popular music was done by ses- session musicians, in particular in the kind of rock and roll kind of world. Um, and uh, yeah, so I I've done it for singing for guitar as well. I um had one friend from university who um is a guitarist and a songwriter and uh i've been on three of his albums um which was a lot of fun and also i did i contributed a bit of songwriting to that as well because he he had one song where he didn't really have any lyrics down um he'd written it in partnership with someone else and this other guy just ditched him he was like cole can you you know write some lyrics and do this thing so on the first it's unawake state is his band and so I did, I sang the first two records and then he wanted a girl to sing some of the songs on the last one. So we shared it out. Um, but, you know, the thing is that all this work comes from word of mouth, people hearing that you're good. And something that I, I need to sort out really is sorting out my own website and my own proper Facebook and social media presence saying, hey, composing work, session work, vocal work. Um, all yeah, this kind of it's, stuff. it's on my list to do that with all the stuff I do that isn't, acting because i've definitely expanded that we've talked about me producing a little bit we've talked about um even like during lockdown i learned how to do some basic editing i I did some editing for Mm. our episodes and i also did some editing for um elliot when we did um a little promo of something he'd written together and bless him he's a great editor but he was staying with his parents didn't have any of his equipment he was like Mm. um could you edit this i was like i can work it out and we worked it out so there we go i would love to make um some kind of platform for all the other stuff you know because my acting stuff is out there i've got my spotlight cv i've got my instagram which is very acting heavy and And stuff like that it's weird. Like I've 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 turned down session. I've turned down vocal work over the last year because I didn't have time. Um, and I, uh, I mean, I, I've also weirdly this is gonna sound really odd, but I've been asked to DM for people, um, for money. Really? Um, That's your dream job. I, I mean, I I'm pretty good at that. I, I'll be honest. I'm not very good at many many games in the world, but DMing I'm pretty good at that. And um, I was thinking, oh, do I really want to? 
do that. And, but but it's it, it's interesting. Uh, you know, like because I see it as such a social thing. But there is something to be said for like, oh, you've got a reputation for just being good at this thing. Mm. So maybe you could you could just see it as providing a service for someone because being a DM is like a job. It's not like you don't no, just no, turn up on the night. No, no, there's so much it, prep work you know? that goes into it. Yeah, um, for sure, you're the director. Like I get it. Yeah, that's it. Artistic you're, you're, director you're of the campaign. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, for me, a lot of a lot of the stuff outside of the band has been um, uh, stuff that I either have just built up a reputation for being good at it, or I've um, kind of just had word of mouth and people spreading around and you know i don't typically i haven't typically had to pursue people for that stuff which is mm. you know just lucky for me but partially that's because i've just been in a band for so long and people are like oh we can sing because you know look there's this band well we this is the thing use, like. use your skills for sure yeah. so yeah. when i think about if someone said to me tomorrow why don't you make your own work what would you do if you could make your own work so there are two obvious avenues to go down one is making an independent movie or like a short film yeah. Uh, and the other is making fringe theatre. Now, I know a lot about making fringe theatre. Yeah. Like, to the point where I am starting to consider just putting something on myself because I probably could and I'd probably be quite good at it now yeah. Now that I've learned as much as I've learned over the last 10 years. Because since, since I was 18 and went off to uni, fringe theatre just became mm. my absolute life, you know. Not intentionally, it's just it was just the world I ended up going to and threw myself into and I had a great time doing it, don't get me wrong. Mm. And I and I think I've said this before, I've reached a point where um as an actor, I've I've done it in my f- humble opinion, one too many times where someone from my course at uni has says, I've started my mm. own theatre company because you act for me for free. You're gonna be rehearsing every weekend for four months and then doing the show and you have to book all that time off work for no money so that I can build my company. Yeah, there's a time and a place to do that. I feel like I'm a bit past that. Um, and if I was to, before, yeah, yeah, if I was to make my own, even fringe theatre thing, I would be adamant that I'm paying actors. Adamant. I'm. I am. Yeah, I am determined to not be part of the culture where actors are undersold and undervalued. I just refuse. If I, if you can't afford to pay your actors, don't do it. Do it yourself. Mm. Um, and I'll come back to this more because there is a project on the horizon for me but it's not officially been announced yet so maybe next episode or the episode after we can talk about Mm, this in more detail but um anyway so making your own piece now this is the thing and it's it's a harsh truth but the fringe scene is really oversubscribed we know this Mm. because everyone wants to give it a go and i'm never going to tell you not to give it a go what i would say as just a bit of advice and probably the thing holding me back so far you still should Ask yourself the question, why should someone come and see this? Yeah. Now, that's not me saying that every piece of theatre has to be heavily political. But, for example, the first time I went to Edinburgh, I'm pretty sure there were four different productions of 448 Psychosis, which is a play I've brought up on here before. But um, because 448 Hmm. is such an iconic production and it's very, like, meta. So it could... The the possibilities are endless. But I think sometimes what that has led to is kind of young, naive theatre makers who really love Sarah Kane. And I fucking love Sarah Kane. But um, going, oh, well, what if we do it this way? And look, that's great and everything. But I just think Mm. that you should ask yourself, why would someone come and see this production? 
does it make a point? Is it genuinely original in some in some way? Um, does it do something interesting? So people are loving, you know, we're very much in an age of, you know, readapting things. So mm. I did the R&D for Lady Macbeth where all the genders were swapped because that is new and that is interesting and that makes a point and it makes us all reevaluate how we see gender. That doesn't have mm. to be like thrown in the audience's face. But my point is, you know, it, if you, okay, if you were walking through the streets of Edinburgh and two people came up to you and each handed you a flyer and one flyer just said a production of Macbeth and one flyer mm. said lady macbeth and you know that 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 the genders are swapped you're much more likely to go see the one that's a bit more out there that's offering something interesting and different yeah now that's and look we all take inspiration from other stuff but i just yeah i'm going around in circles a bit i'm sorry but my point is no 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 there's really valid points in there you need to ask yourself why should someone come and see this because the next big point i want to make is i'm not the biggest fan of independent companies capitalizing on their actors who are not being paid getting all their friends to buy tickets first of all i hate it first of all that's not why your actors are there i'm sorry but it's not and it's really unkind the level of pressure some of these companies have put on the actors because they just think it's easy money and i've had directors say oh if everyone brought 10 people we would hit this much and it's like well first Mm. of all i don't get a penny of that to start off with and secondly that's a it's not the actor's job that pressure shouldn't be on them it gets exhausting you know imagine me as the actor who does two fringe shows a year i can't be getting the same 20 people to to fork all their money into this like it's it's not it's not sustainable it's it's a lot to put on the actor and then also you're not going to grow your brand that way no, not at all. By not having all. the same sets of parents coming to watch the show out of sheer you know love what? and loyalty. Like, don't get me wrong. My parents come to every show I see. That's not my point. But you need to, if you want to sell tickets, you need to get creative as a director or a producer or a marketer you and promoter, which we touched on last week. You need to think of ways to do it so that you're reaching your target audience, so that you're getting reviews in, you know. Yeah. That needs to be your strategy, not, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a big cast of unpaid actors and they're all going to bring 10 people. Yeah. Do you know what? Every single thing you just said relates to something in my own world. Of oh, music. well, that's the whole point um, of this podcast. Please tell thing. me. So one, the music scene, or at least until 2020, at least, um, was utterly oversaturated with bands. It's completely oversaturated with bands. And I'm going to make a really controversial claim here. I think one of the reasons why people don't go see bands anymore is because there's too many bands who are just like, I'm going to go up there and make some noise and haven't done any practice and they're not that great. Okay? Yeah. And so one of the reasons that people don't go and see live music, oh, there's a band on, should we go? Is that they don't know if they're going to have an awful night or not, because they, they have no idea who's going to go up on that stage. Um, that's, that sounds really bad. But, but what I, what I really mean by that is that I love, I love bands and I love music. And if you're going to do it, you should do it really well. You should just try and do it really well. Like you were saying, you should try and do something different with each production. We've got a lot of young people out who want to be performers and want to be doing something. And you look, we're never going to shit on that. And yeah, people no, are no, never no. going to be brilliant there on their first gig. That's not what we're saying. Never, ever, ever, ever. No one is. No one is. There was um, there's a there's a thing about you know um stand up comedians. Your first night is always going to bomb. You know, every stand up comedian's first night always bombs, except for 
you know one or two brilliant people from history you know but um it's there there is a problem with people not recognizing that to make people come to your shows you just have to be really good that's actually what it is and the thing that you said about hey if everyone buys 10 tickets then um gets 10 of their friends along then well that's completely fucking pointless do you know why is that the only reason i want people to see me is to be like wow i think they're really good so that you can grow and 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 then and then if all the bands bring people that that are like hey i'm going to see them because they're really good and then they'll look at the other bands go those bands are really good i want to see them i've done shows where um do you know what i'm gonna name names um (laughs) not entirely but but um o2 academy in oxford there was um some promotions people that go on there who go right you only get paid one pound per ticket of someone who claims your name when they buy a ticket i'm going to give you x amount of tickets yeah yeah that face i'm going to give you x amount of tickets and you have to sell x amount or you won't be able to gig with me in the future and you will get one pound per ticket you sell and we found out that when people the thing is in oxford we were quite well known at the time so people were saying people were buying tickets at the door but not saying our name so we didn't get the money you know because they were just buying tickets on the door because they saw our name on the on the posters. Um, and I'll be honest, if I've got maybe 20 fans that, that want to buy tickets, right, and I push it, I have to push it on Facebook anyway, so I probably have to do a paid post of a few quid, and I'm not driving around the fucking county handing out tickets to people, I will post it to them. So I lose the money anyway. That money right. does not belong to me. I, yeah. I, I Negative fucking you know i I lose money on on those anyway and then you know why would i want if 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 i'm playing with loads of other bands and they've all just brought their friends who aren't necessarily into music but they're supportive of their friends why the fuck would i want to play in front of those people because those people aren't there to see music they're just like they're to support their friends which is lovely and wonderful and great but they're not like beautiful thing and it does help you know and some of the happiest days help it's a wonderful thing some of the happiest days of my career have been the day that a lot of people came don't get me yeah. wrong it's true but that's I, I not t- gonna get you anywhere you know what, it's not gonna what? grow you no no it's completely pointless and so and all these bands kind of um go hey we're playing this big venue in oxford Roto academy is like wow that's the that's the venue in oxford right yeah it's actually not worth playing i'm not gonna play in there again because if i if i get i've said to you before the bullingdon is just down the road I can fit 300 people in the Bullingdon and it's completely rammed and it's all sweaty and everyone wants to be there, you know? Yeah. Um, I'll, te- I'll tell you one thing, though. I-, I absolutely love, I love when people just come and support my shows. I did um, the second EP launch, I think it was. Um, we, I had some old friends from school who hadn't seen this before, right? And they'd known me because um, I'd seen them at parties and I'd been friends with them since school. And we're adults now, so we don't get to see each other that much. Um, but they came in and they saw a room full of people who all knew who I was and all loved my music. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I make a point of talking to the pr- crowd properly. So I go, uh, we got any Hells Gazelles fans in? The room goes, way. We got anyone from my old school in? And then five people go, way. And I go, we got anyone from my Dungeons and Dragons group in? And then Barney <laughs> goes, way. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, and um, I, sure. I love... I love that people go out to support to support their friends' bands, but but what I'm saying is that when promoters basically force you into that situation where you're just trying to you've not got a following and you're trying to to just bring friends and family in, yeah, no one's growing from that. Yeah. 
you know, no exactly. one grows. Couldn't it's an isolated more. thing. Yeah, you are Sorry, literally I've just on about that, no, no, no. It drives me mad. We've both just made the same point. Just made it apply to our own careers. You're, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. generating an echo chamber. And yes, that's exactly it. It's the person who, the company who makes money that day is going to be really happy. Yeah. But and that's the people it. running They're, the bar And also that company are not going to grow from that. Do you know what no, I mean? Like, so let's take, not. let's take Medusa. Cause I had a wonderful time working for them and they did market themselves and get reviews and do all the other stuff as well. So I'm going to take an example that it doesn't apply to so that it's very clear that I'm not actually bashing them. Right. But let's say, hmm. so Medusa had, Let's say 10 of us in the cast. I can't remember exactly. I think it was less, but six or seven. But let's say 10. And let's say each of us brought our parents. Okay, so that's 20 tickets sold. Cool. Let's say each ticket was a tenner. That's an extra 200 quid in that company's bank account. But then what happens when that company does another show? Hmm. Like, are we supposed to all show up again? That's not going to... That's not going to grow. That's not going to get you bigger no. venues and tours. And, and no. you, now I'm saying this because Medusa did not do that. Katie was a fantastic promoter. Um, it was just a shame because the final performance happened in March 2020, like literally weeks oh. before the lockdown. So like our audiences were Everyone slashed. was anxious, yeah. Like, yeah, oh yeah, the numbers were terrible. But my point is my last, yeah. she was really good at it, which is why I'm saying let's imagine she wasn't. It would not have, it wouldn't be a production that went to five different countries. Because it mm, did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just think that if you if it's your company, OK, just even think of it this way. Put two tickets a night aside for industry and then fill them. Yeah. Get yeah. agents and producers and investors and venue managers in. Give up those two tickets a night and actually create relationships and actually yeah. promote your company. Um, I think this is the thing I'm kind of the thing that I'm enjoying about producing is I get to do that side of the job without like yeah. committing to one brand, you know, cause I know different people where my, I've got one group of friends where it's all new writing. Everything they do is original. I've got another group of friends where everything they do is a musical and another group of friends, you know, and I don't, I don't want to kind of tie myself down in that way, which is why I think I enjoy being a producer. Cause I can still do yeah, that yeah. side of it, but I can still kind of hop between different, different mm. things. Yeah. How would you feel if I produced a Muppets production? <laughs> um, I I would like to be the human surrounded by all the Muppets. I don't think I could afford the rights, if I'm being honest. But how much? I think fun that may be true. Be? Disney may screw you. Oh, but it would Disney. be so much. Fun. I'm the mascot of an evil corporation. I think another thing that's worth bringing up. I know we did a whole episode of venues, but I don't think something we actually talked about. The venue is going to eat most of the money. No, yeah, yeah. Um, they yeah. and it could be anything. It could be from upfront fees to taking half the ticket sales, or even more. It could be it's there's so much that goes into booking a venue. Like more, I'm more aware of it than ever since going into producing, but also so in so many different types of jobs I've done. Booking venues is such a huge expense. Yeah. It's really heartbreaking because. It's hard. Absolutely. It's hard. Well, that, that promoter that I was talking about with the tickets, because the tickets were like six quid each. And so the reason he does that is, uh, or did that, is so that he could pay for the venue. Mm. Um, or at least contribute to the venue. Because he, he does actually want to contribute to the scene. That's the thing. Um, and the mad thing is that that venue takes 10% of your, oh, sorry, not 10%, 50% of your merch sales which is where I make all my money. I was going to say, merch is meant to be the band's thing, isn't it? That's, that's kind of That's the only way territory. I can make money, yeah. is, is, is by being 
merch, merch. I mean, that's that's how bands make money now is being t-shirt salesmen. You know, um, the, the, the part of that that whole thing is mixed up with um, bands. Bands love bands, and they don't yes. necessarily love pop music, right? And so yep. they think that oh, all the biggest bands in the world they just gigged and gigged and gigged their hearts out, and then they've got somewhere. And that used to be what you had to do in like the eighties, you know, mm. uh, maybe even up until like the nineties and the two thousands. But that's not how it works anymore. You just got to be savvy with social media and stuff like that. So um, pe- bands are working on an older model, and yeah, as you say, venues are just going to eat up your costs. Yeah, um, it's and hard. It's going to be really, really interesting hard. to see what happens after the pandemic, because for one, I know a lot of bands are giving up. Um, I um, know a lot of venues are closing. Um, People, big companies who want to turn things into flats are exploiting the fact that venues have not been able to maintain an income for the last year. Um, That's been happening in Oxford a lot. There's barely any barely any venues left in fact the last real venue in the oxford city center nearly closed until there was a huge campaign um the wheat sheaf um we all we all campaigned against it but just um, one little positive thing though so in our very first episode which was venues um i talked about how much i love the cockpit how many times i performed there and i playfully said how heartbreaking would it be if this time next year it's shut and then the pandemic happened because we recorded our first episode before yes, COVID. Before. And I've been yeah. sat here going, oh, my God. And I just Googled it. The cockpit survived COVID, you Yay. guys. <laughs> it's well, got a countdown till the 6th of May on its website. <laughs> Bless it. I mean, there's there's loads of stuff like, are people yeah. going to... I mean, I feel I feel like one, once the, the it's lifted, people are just going to be going out and doing stuff, you know, and that's the time to, to be doing things. That's why I'm trying to rush to finish this record, um, me and Nath, um, which actually that kind of relates to our title about finding work and making your own work in that um, building an album is exactly that. You're making your own thing and you're yeah. not really doing it for anyone else um, except to um, eventually be your product. So that's that's the whole part of the work and it's it's been wonderful. Um working with Nathan, doing something new and interesting. Um, you know, you can get stuck in a rut. And um, the the odd thing is that it wasn't the case for me, but, but the pandemic has meant that a lot of people had more free time. I was working through through almost all of it. Yeah, you had but, a very intense um, work schedule. Yeah, I, I did not have not have much free time. Um, and but but ironically, most of the creatives I know have really struggled to just be creative, um, even though they've technically got the time. Um, I've known people go in opposite directions, personally. Yeah, well, all or I, nothing. Well, I mean, for instance, was it Taylor Swift who did like two albums in that time? But um, most of the bands I know work collaboratively, so you just can't really do that. Um, I think also, like, if we took Taylor Swift as an example, okay, like she isn't, she has no need to be afraid. So yeah. well, she's mean, she already and doesn't no, have but she's already so records. successful, has a massive platform and loads of money. So yeah. it's it's. I think that the people who struggled to create were the people who were frightened and who were suffering and who had bills to yeah. pay. Like create. You could argue the creativity is a privilege, right? Like mm. this is why this is why the arts become more elitist than they ever should be because it was a privilege that my parents could afford to send me to all of those fucking classes 
you know it was a privilege that they helped me go to drama school i and, and yeah. i'm not saying it's impossible but i'm saying that that you need to be in a in a healthy secure space at least in your mind to create mm. so that i'm not surprised that taylor swift wrote two albums i'm also not surprised that there are people that i knew that completely went into their shell with panic and fear yeah. you know they're yeah. different situations i yeah I, I knew people who basically just got immensely depressed yeah so do um, i so um that's kind of what i mean people, a, lot, a lot yeah i mean I, I i a lot of people seem to think that um have this weird a lot actually i find it's non-creative people have this romantic idea of all these depressed artists and they're doing their best work when they're really sad and shit mm. and no that's not what happened it's like van gogh um he did most of his work when he was on meds you yeah. know like yeah. and when he was um, institutionalized that gets yeah. missed out a lot like pe- people people forget that all these all these tortured geniuses most of the time they weren't depressed when they were doing the thing mm. you know um that they were doing and people some some people seem to think some in fact weirdly a lot of people growing up think that you have to be like that in yeah. order to be a creator have you seen and frank how weird is that i have to be brooding and rude to people and smoke this cigarette and <sighs> yes oh, have yes, you seen the movie the frank condition. all this bollocks oh i've been wanting to see it. is that the one with the big head yes okay i won't say I it then. it makes a comment on exactly what you just mentioned yeah it's just really odd um and that doesn't ha- being I've said before being in a band is quite an insular, quite a tribal thing. So um, a lot of people blow a lot of smoke up their own bums. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, and go, yeah, those guys aren't really it because they're not doing this, whereas we're really it because we're doing this, and uh, and all these arbitrary like measurements of what is real and what isn't, and all this stuff, you know. Um, and you can fall into that trap. I'm sure I've fallen into that trap in, in loads of ways in the past. We used to have things about backing tracks. We used to be like, man, it's not really, you know, using a backing track, it's not really playing live. And I'm just like, well, now I'm like, I mean, we don't have still a bassist. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I don't know what we're going to do without a bassist because like we've rinsed through a lot of bassists. There's not that many about anymore, you know? So, um, it's, you know, you've got to be willing to let go of stupid stuff like that and just, you know, be happy and do fun things. But um, it's been immensely hard for people to do that. It's just a, a circular point, but it's been really hard for a lot of people. I know people it who it really haven't has. been able to do much at and all like if, until if, quite if recently. Anyone, if you're listening because you've struggled and you just want some people to talk about all the hard shit about yeah. doing these jobs, like, we get it. And if you were yeah. completely uncreative this year, don't worry. <laughs> The people that yeah. go, the people we that went. permission. Do you know what I mean? The people that were like, yeah, but then I'm going to be ready when it all kicks off. It's just what they're telling themselves to cope. I know that sounds really, really harsh. Mm. There is yeah, no harm. Yeah. There's no harm with writing an album or a novel or learning a new language or getting into great shape in lockdown. Great. Good for you. I fully, fully support that. But, well done. But if you didn't, that's also absolutely fine the world Mm. was literally on pause no one knew what was going to happen i cried over fears about my career dozens of times Mm. in 2020 i was so nervous i was so frightened about what career i'd be what industry i would even be here when i got back and then i had days i was like nah the arts industry is not going anywhere because people need art and i plan to be there when it comes Mm. back and you can have both days like it's fine I mean, the the irony for for us was that we finished 
we took a pause at the end of 2019 and we were going to be like, we're going to use 2020 and we're just going to write an album. And yeah. then we just couldn't. No. We weren't with each other, me and Nath. We were just not in the same place. So we couldn't we couldn't write together. Just not the and, same, is um, it? And even you and I, we had to adapt so much last year. Yeah. People think, I've had a lot of people think that we did this as a, what should we do with ourselves in lockdown? And I've had no. to be like, no, that is genuinely not what it was. We had this planned months before the lockdown. Yeah. We'd started recording. We made a couple of dummy episodes and messed about and then had our first proper episode. And then lockdown happened and we had no idea how we were going to keep going. And we spent months mm. finding a new routine, me working out equipment and how to edit and all of the, it. Me not fucking sleeping. Yeah, <laughs> right? Just, you you yeah. with the insane yeah. work schedule you had. Like we had to really completely change how we were planning to do this. Because our initial plan was to meet up in person, spend a couple of days mm. knocking out a few episodes, a few at, a episodes time, at a time, create yeah. a series and maybe release a series each year. And then we went, okay, that's not going to work for us. Let's do weekly and let's work out how. And it took yeah. most of 2020. We didn't release until December. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And we, we've gone on the trot. We have gone on the trot every since, week since. Um, in fact, listeners at home, this week was unusual because we've not spoken to each other in war... Ten days? Ten days yeah. Um So I... Uh, in fact, oddly enough, we're recording this the day of the uh, Of last week's, yeah. The, oh, yeah. We, yeah. We, we, the day. We, we just released last week's um, this morning. So we always, and, we always uh, give yeah. ourselves like a good little gap between yeah. recording and release just in case. And we had to use some of that gap this time. But it means a long time since you and I had a good old natter. And yeah. it was weird. It was genuinely exactly. weird. Anyway, I think that has been a productive episode, but I, I would quite like to play a game. Okay, I've, I've just okay. Uh, do you want to do another you 20 questions? Before. What do you want to do? Um, I, think, I think I have to guess this time. Yeah, you have to guess and I've got one, so. Oh, you've already got one. I you thought of it prepared. earlier while we were talking. I was like, oh, it's oh, nice. my turn. Okay. I've got okay, one. Okay, so. 20 questions. Here we go. Some Boom. kind of self-aware being. So it's it's a figure. It's Should a figure. we say that? That's, it's a figure. It's a figure. Okay. We like this genre. We'll expand yeah, well, it's, into it's... into our weird genres in our game day. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh man, yeah, we 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 had so much fun with that um, on backpack. A backpack. It's not called backpack anymore. <gasps> <laughs> I can't believe you said the code name. How dare oh, you? God. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, so 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 so. Yeah. Off you go. Your figure is your figure fictional. Yes. Fictional. Okay. I give up. No. Um, <laughs> is your figure human? No. Balls. And I'm I'm going to assume that this is someone I know. I will be flabbergasted if you don't. Okay. Non-human fictional character. Is your character known? from science fiction no mythology no fantasy i mean fiction is fantasy but i wouldn't say okay so yeah but not like you know dungeons and dragons um <laughs> type you know running mm. across the country and shooting orcs no um no how many questions is that five five oh my god because you've gone um, through a lot of genres so i have horror no Non-human, not from mythology or fantasy or science fiction. Um, is your figure male? Yes. 
male non-human. Interesting. If they're male, it rather implies that there's like a personality at work rather than just like a faceless being. Um, because you wouldn't bother to write that. Um, is your um, is this is 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 this from a book? This yes. Figure? Do they also appear in film? Yes. Is it from mystery and um, like a mystery genre? So like any kind of detective who done it, anything like a detective who done it. No, nothing like that. I, I was, for some reason in my brain, I was like, "Is it the Hound of the Baskervilles?" No, no. it's not. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, wow, this is really tricky. It's you've um, not found the genre. You've you've powered through so many genres. I know, and you've not found is the it right one. from. <clears throat> it's not from horror. Who done it? Fantasy. Mm-mm. It's. By by it's fantasy, fantasy. By fan- it's not fantasy. It is not fantasy. I just I'm trying to be extra fine. Is but it it's Peter not Rabbit? anything like. Oh, what, pardon. Is it Peter Rabbit? It's not Peter Rabbit, but you're getting closer with genre. Is it Winnie the Winnie the Pooh? No. Okay, let's 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 do broader because I'm going right in. Uh, is but it from children's s- fiction? Yes, there you go. It's from okay. children's fiction. Is That's it the from important. Winnie the Pooh. The no. series kind of. I'm going to give you that one back because you asked, is it Winnie the Pooh? I'm going to count that as one question. You have seven left. Oh, benevolent dictatorship. (laughs) Um, Yes, that that sums me up really well. (laughs) Amber giveth and Amber taketh away. Kinda, yeah. (laughs) Um, So it's from children's fiction. Yes. Um, It's a male character. Yes. um, From literature, but also from film. Yes. Man, tricky, tricky, tricky. That isn't human. Non-human. Yeah, that sums up what you. Which means it's not the cat from Postman Pat. Um. I mean, why would you say that? It isn't, but why would you say that? Because that's a female cat. Um, Oh, I see. Okay. Um. Is this figure known from the books, or known from the TV or film representation? So, is it known from like a series, or is it much more known from the book? Okay. The book. This is going to sound really weird, but is this um, figure an animal or something other than an animal? Pardon? You need to ask me yes or no questions. Is it an animal? Yes, it's an animal. I'm I'm just checking because because if it was Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, yeah, for uh, sure, for sure. um, But no, it's, it's an animal. It's not from Winnie the Pooh. It's not. Five questions left. It wouldn't be from Narnia. Um, Definitely from the books, and people know it from the books. Mm -hmm. If it was Harry Potter, then people would know it from the film. Also, I would call that fantasy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's fantasy. You would, yeah. Um, Brilliant children's books. Is it Spot the Dog? No. I've got four questions left and I, I actually really have no idea where I am. Okay, let me think um, of a clue I can give you that isn't just giving it away. Um, to be fair, you got a clue. I think you got two. No, I know. I'll give you a clue. I'm just trying to think of one that isn't just telling you the answer, you know. Boom. Yeah, fair. How shall I approach this? How shall you approach this? 
What if I say that rhyming and a sense of verse oh, okay. is very right. typical um, of this writer? Is this from... Uh, is this the Cheshire Cat? No. <laughs> rhyming is used a lot by the writer. Oh, is it Cat in the Hat? Yeah! Hey! Done. That's it. Two left. Gotcha. <laughs> That was that was tricky. If I didn't have that clue, you kept think, naming cats, and I was like, "Oh, bless uh, you!" Yeah, yeah. I, I um, do you know? I think the reason I didn't get that is because um, Doctor Seuss is very American to me, um, and I don't. I weirdly am just not as familiar with with all that stuff. Like, oh, but Doctor Seuss. Well, at least, but there you go. I would have been really shocked if you didn't know who the Cat in the Hat was. No, I mean, I, I, I've never read. Read that one, but I was like, oh, really? Doctor characters. It's fun. Uh, it, I loved it as a famous kid. One. Um, Thanks for that. When you said rhyming, I was like, oh, it's got to be Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> fair, um, fair, fair, fair. I actually saw a production of The Cat in the Hat one of the years I was in Edinburgh. And I'm really not kidding. It was so much fun. Oh, it, I bet. It I bet. brought out a childlike playfulness in me. And they did, because The Cat in the Hat famously does things that you shouldn't be able to do like balancing hundreds of things on it including things on his tail and stuff yeah of course and then like yeah yeah exactly and they actually they brought cartoon logic to the stage and and it was Mm. very very impressive and i went with my friend georgia and we literally were giggling like kids we were like (laughs) and then what happens (laughs) it was so good super sweet that was a really really good um, really good one. Really good answer. Speedy I've round. I've got to think up something mean for next time. Not too um, mean. <laughs> well, I, I mean, the other thing is... I do, struggled do with Mr. Do... Fucking Tumnus. <laughs> <laughs> I love Mr. Tumnus. I, I, Should we do I a game we'd... episode next week? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking I'd love to do a game episode next week if, yeah. if you're all right with that. Yeah, yeah, that. for sure. Um, we'll just power through. It'll be fine. The thing is, because I listened last night to our episode because yeah. obviously I did the edit and... Um, uh, it was it was interesting m- listening to my answers to you, and I was like, "That's a rubbish." I gave you rubbish answers. Like, is he the villain? And I was just like, "No, but he's a bit." And I'm just like, "No, but also." But I know why you thought that because Mister Tomnus does betray them. Like, it's heartbreaking. And well, I no, he doesn't, s- but he was meant to. Like, it was a whole thing. Like, he started betraying them. And, and then, then didn't. didn't. Yeah. And, and it's that's actually it's because he's a well-written character. That's that's one of the things sure. that's that's quite astonishing. Do about you consider those books. Snape a villain? I mean, that's that's another thing. That's, is that, yeah. um, that pe- a lot of people are like. Well, well, at the end of the book, I'm going to just say it because Harry Potter. I mean, if you've not finished Harry generation. Potter, turn this off now. But you're yeah. a dickhead. Carry on. At the end, <laughs> and he names he names like his son after Snape or something, right? Yeah. Um. And I thought, man, it's weird because Snape wasn't protecting him. No, he wasn't. He was being nice. He's doing it because he wanted to shag his mum. Yeah. (laughs) And also something, someone phrased it really, really well, right? That it was so, he was a death eater and everything. And then he became a spy, but only because, only because Voldemort went after someone he personally loved, not because his morals changed. And so I don't necessarily see him as a villain, but he's an arsehole. Like, yeah, I mean, I do, I do wonder if he technically was on the good person's side for the whole time that we were reading the book since Harry's birth, or since Harry's one, he is on their side. Hmm. So technically, he's a goodie, but he's an arsehole. 
absolute bully. Liked the, but the, the other thing is though that I I believe, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he's not actually totally an arsehole because he was like doing things like protecting Malfoy as well, even though yeah. But then again, he promised he would, and then he'd die if he didn't. It's really tricky, isn't it? Yeah, he's still he's still a bully, though. He picks on kids. He intimidates yeah. children. Like you're a dickhead. Like he, he and and he's he's so he's so vain, but he's also traumatized. Yeah. Like he's a complex character. Exactly. I, I, plus yeah. the attack on the Nakatomi Plaza, plus cheating on Emma Thompson in Love Actually. It's I know just it's just despicable, isn't it? It's just horrendous. But you know, I don't like to speak ill of the dead. Well, you know, <laughs> I'll cut his heart out with a spoon. Uh, <laughs> fun tangent oh anyway. cheeky snort love it yeah love it um anyway i, I need a drink because yeah. i'm falling apart so um i think that kind of rounds off i think that's a nice week. neat we'll little episode we've done there yeah. isn't it that was lush that was n- nice isn't isn't that that nice it's we always, do that voice a lot don't we such a good and little boy to see you. i love always chatting to you to babe um and uh you know never put jam on a magnet it's a bit of advice that okay, you know, cool. handed down to me cool, and I'm cool, handing cool, on to cool, you. Cool, Never cool, put thanks. jam on a magnet. Right. I'll um, bear that in mind. Unless you want to. So, uh, folks at home, you've been listening to Riffs and Scripts. My name is Cole Bryant. My name is Amber Sava. If you want to get in touch, it's riffsandscripts at gmail.com or find us on Riffs and Scripts pod on Instagram. There we go. Have so, a good week, I you guys. From me and from you. Bye bye. Peace.